0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of 100 Words or Less, the podcast. I'm your host, Ray Harkins, and we're talking about episode number 18 right here. Almost to 20, almost to 25, there will be something special on the 25th episode. That's a nice tease, right? Anyways, I sound a little different because I'm not recording with a microphone. I'm just talking straight into my computer because uh, I'm on vacation. And I'm hanging out in my hotel room in Hawaii, looking at the beach, going on awesome hikes, fun stuff. Uh, And please forgive me if there's a fire alarm that goes off in the background, because for some reason my hotel is uh, doing that right now. So I've tried to record this like 10 different times, and it keeps going off. And so I said, "Uh, screw it. I'm just going to keep going through it. And you guys will have to deal with it. Anyways, uh, let's get some business out of the way. We are part of the Punk News Podcast Network. Go to punknews.org and you can visit all of the awesome reviews, awesome news articles, and basically keep abreast with everything that is happening within our culture. And um, yeah, I'm proud to be a part of that. And uh, let's see, our guest today, Mr. Alex Arian from Despised Icon and more recently Obey the Brave, who uh, just recently signed with Epitaph Records. And uh, I've known the guy for a while, so I'm excited to speak to him. More about him in a moment. And um, let's see. Something I've been thinking about a lot recently. I listened to an interview with uh, Matt Pinfield, who was the host of an MTV show called 120 Minutes. And for those of you that don't know, uh, we're talking about, I think, early 90s is when this show was the most popular. It was a late-night video program for about, I don't know, an hour, two hours sometimes where they showed music videos that were either from independent artists or stuff that MTV couldn't generally play during the day uh, or evenings. And this is when MTV was playing music videos more on the regular. So I listened to an interview with him, and I kind of started to reminisce about that show. uh, And I realized it was extremely formative in my musical upbringing. Uh, I distinctly remember watching uh, Rage Against the Machine on there. I remember watching Dinosaur Jr., and just kind of finding out about these bands who were bubbling underneath the mainstream um, but really gravitating towards them but more importantly, rage against the machine just really blew my mind and opened my eyes to the fact that not everything is all right in the world um, what I had experienced prior to that was obviously everything's cool and there's you know there's issues there's obviously wars I was aware of and things that were happening in the world but Raging Against the Machine shone a light on the fact that people didn't want to take it anymore and they could obviously take some sort of control into their own hands. And um, it was really eye-opening for me uh, because, like I said, it introduced me to the world of uh, politics. It introduced me to a lot of different uh, cultural movements within not only our society but our subgenre of music. Um, and I was kind of reflecting, what is that – discovery process like for kids now because um, obviously you hear a lot of people who are around my age talking about how bands don't stand for anything anymore they've got nothing to say whatever um, I don't completely agree with that statement but I can understand and sympathize where you know using something like the Warp Tour as an example you know out of the 70 or so bands that are playing there um, there's not many that have politically tinged messages um, and or even are just an overt political ban. Like, I can think of only one band recently, such as, uh, you know, Anti-Flag or Rise Against. Uh, and Rise Against is a completely huge mainstream rock act, rock act at this point. And so that could maybe be a direct comparison, Raids Against the Machine versus Rise Against today. Um, I don't know. It's definitely one of those things where I would love to know where people kind of discover that side of the world and realize, Oh, okay, everything isn't all right. And maybe it's just really easy to discover that now. So bands don't feel the need to kind of put that in front of kids. And I don't know, it's just an interesting dichotomy. And like I said, it got me thinking, uh, when I had my revelatory moment of like, Oh, wow, people are getting screwed over in some way, shape or form. And, uh, they don't have to take it anymore. Um, So anyways, that's that. Uh, I also wanted to mention the passing of Tony Sly from No Use for a Name. Uh, I was really impressed with the amount of outpour from people either just I saw on my own social networks or obviously on a lot of the news sites around there. Um, I really didn't get a sense of how much No Use for a Name impacted a lot of people. It was really formative in my musical upbringing, you know, cuz you had your bands like No Effects, Lagwagon, No Use for Name, like they were all synonymous and they all kind of obviously came up around the same time. And I distinctly remember No Use for Name was kind of the most talented of the bunch, if that made any sense, where um they their recordings always sounded really professional um and they just always seemed to have a little bit more I don't know, harder edge to it even though they, you know, fell in the whole Fat Records camp and, you know, were akin to many of those type of bands. But yeah, Tony Sly was very young. I mean, early 40s and passed away in his sleep from what I've read. Uh, And so it's a very sad day when that happens, uh, because obviously he was a voice for many people and introduced them to many amazing things, not only musically, but uh, politically. And the band was definitely awesome. And uh, yeah, sad to hear that Tony will no longer be with us. I say Tony like I know him. I don't know him at all, but I feel like I obviously have some sort of window into his life through his music, and it was just great to see everybody really, really be impacted by that and obviously not just kind of let that go quietly in the news stream, so to speak. Anyways, visit our website, 100wordspodcast.com. You can find recommendations, stream the show, I really recommend that you do that. Second thing, rate our show on iTunes. It'll make us look cool in some way, shape, or form. Um, And so, yeah, now I want to talk about Alex from Despised Icon and Obey the Brave. Uh, I've known him for a while, and I, I feel like he, and especially a lot of the people that view the sort of, I don't know, Jim Short, hardcore-slash-metal culture with a very, uh, uh, you know, a very negative view. Um, Alex is completely the opposite of that. Um, granted, he definitely lived within that culture when Despise Icon was touring regularly, um, and they kind of predated bands like uh, Amir and, you know, all that type of stuff. But in any event, Alex was always super, super cool to me. Uh, And I just thought he would be a very interesting guest. Um, We spoke on Skype, and towards the end of the conversation, it gets a little internet staticky, uh, and I apologize for that, but I didn't want to derail the conversation and uh, try to record it again. So anyways, in any event, here's a conversation I had with Alex, and hope you enjoy. Yeah, I I usually like to start these things off with just kind of, you know, my own first personal experience with either, you know, yourself or your band. And I just remember, you know, early in my years working at Century Media, um, I was, uh, you know, like we were talking about our mutual friend, Roy Culver, uh, you know, he he was working alongside me and, you know, he was like, hey, Ray, check this band out. You know, I really think they've got something cool going on. And it was so weird. I remember listening to it and just like because this is, you know it was early 2000. So it was like the, the word metalcore was still in existence and <laughs> still like meant something to kids. Um, and so like hearing it was just, it was so interesting because it obviously it had a lot of those, you know, same elements that fans of that nature had, you know, bands like unearthed red cord, that type of stuff. But then you obviously had a little different approach where, um, you know, you were adding a lot more influences from, you know, death metal and all that type of stuff. And so, I just remember listening to it and being like, what the fuck are these guys doing? Like, I just totally, I couldn't wrap my head around it. (laughs) (laughs) And it was, uh, and then shortly, you know, I think it was maybe like, whatever, a year or two later, like we, uh, we actually met each other. And it was one of those things where, I don't know, you get, you get a certain perception of how a person might be just either by, you know, the band they're in or promo photos or whatever. Um, And for whatever reason, I thought you'd be like a really hard dude. Like, it just, I don't know why, but I just, you know, that was just the perception. And then when I met you, I was just like, oh, no, Alex is just, you know, he's just a goofball like the rest of us. <laughs>
1: do, do people... Are, do, do people are, are, you, are you taping this right now, or? Yeah, if that's okay. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, I mean, I, I've... I've a lot of people actually told me the same thing. They see they see me in like a music video or on stage or something. They think I'm like a hard ass or whatever, but I'm just like a regular dude, man. Just uh, uh, I don't know. I guess this music thing is uh, my way to vent all my frustrations and uh, apprehensions or hatred or whatever is going on in my head that's going wrong or whatever. That's just like a positive outlet to uh, you know. Let it all out. So, uh, yeah, no, <laughs> what you I, see uh, on stage doesn't mean real life. I'm actually pretty chill. <laughs> no, for sure.
0: I, I mean, and you usually find that like once you kind of get to know, I mean, because I, I had the same thing. I mean, I never, you know, taken was never like obviously a hard band from that perspective, but people would okay. be like sometimes would be afraid to come up to me after the show and be like, Hey, are you okay? Like, <laughs> <laughs> and it's totally, it's totally funny because that's, you know, no matter how long you've been involved with this, like. You still set up some perceptions of what a person's gonna be like based on either you know what they do in the band or you know how they look in promo photos or whatever. Um, but that's that's funny, I'm sure other people like you said have come up to you and been like, yo dude I thought you were gonna be like hard as nails and carry around brass knuckles and all of a
1: sudden... <laughs> yeah well yo yo uh, right now just so you know yeah i'm holding uh taken and they and they slept and taken between two unseen. i still own both just so you know
0: <laughs> well I, I appreciate that we definitely uh we loved the east coast of canada and we played there quite <laughs> quite often
1: <laughs> i i actually own cds i don't know man like what struck me about you and and roy and stacy all that you guys were just really chill dudes like i remember back in the day not even h- hitting up century true media or abacus just because i thought you know that that it was a long shot Uh, i i didn't even uh it it was just too big or whatever and like back then like you said deathcore wasn't really around or didn't even exist to to a certain extent so uh i don't know i i think stacy reached out to me super casual Mm -hmm. like and i was like wow this is awesome, and then I, I don't know. I, I guess things just picked up that way. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, you you did mention uh, you did mention uh, the Red Court earlier. Definitely got a lot of respect for Guy and the boys uh, fused together in Revolving Doors. That was one of the first if not the first death core record that I, uh, purchased, you know, if you want to call it that, you know, it is a mixture of metalcore and death metal right, in my right. book. And, uh, definitely got to give them a lot of credit. Definitely got to give that band a lot of credit for that. And, uh, but yeah, it, it was just weird at the time. I just remember, uh, uh, doing all these death metal tours we would be on the road with morbid angel or, or, uh, deicide or suffocation or aborted or like a, a bunch of my favorite bands. And, this was before death Corps. Like we had no, there were no bands like the spies icon to actually, you know, share the stage with, you know, white wasn't around job for a cowboy. Suicide sounds haven't even hadn't even done their first, uh, uh, tour at the time, you know, same for white and carnifex. And uh, I don't know. It was just really awkward. I, I just remember it being really awkward. Just, getting a lot of hate from the metal fans. And then once that, this, this other scene actually developed, it, uh, started getting interesting for us.
0: <laughs> no, that, and that, that was actually, I was going to bring that up a little bit later, but it's perfect to talk about right now because it, you know, you're going to get, because obviously the metal crowd, you know, it's a very, very, uh, distinct crowd. And they obviously, you know, they really focus on their tradition. So it's like yeah,
1: conservative, definitely.
0: Totally. And so when you, you know, win a bunch of, you know, Short-haired kids jumping around on stage, like looking like a hardcore band, but playing, you know, very extreme music. Uh You know, they're gonna be like, "What the fuck is this? Like, this is (laughs) this is terrible." And like, uh, yeah, I'm so I'm sure, like, awkward is actually probably the best way to describe (laughs) describe it. it. It's the
1: polite way to describe it. Yeah,
0: that's true. That's true. (laughs) Yeah. So, like, when you guys were doing that, like, was it was it just one of those things where it's like you all kind of just like collectively talked as a band, and you were just like. All right, well, we know that this tour could suck for us as far as, like, you know, a a certain segment of the crowd is going to give us a really, really bad reaction, but we know that some of the crowd will get what we're doing.
1: I mean, yeah, exactly. That was our mindset at the time. But you know, we just couldn't help ourselves. You know, we we were getting these opportunities to tour with these bands. And you know, here we are suffocation, you know, I love Effigy. I love Pierce from within. And uh, all of a sudden you, you get, you know, this offered a uh, tour with uh, Cryptopsy, you know, one of the first death metal bands I listened to back when Nun actually came out and all that. And, you know, the same goes for a bunch of bands like that. And, you know, we just couldn't say no, man, I grew up listening <laughs> to that shit. And like, that's, uh, you know, that's a big part of um, how I got into music in the first place. And obviously, that was more of like me in the 90s. And then when the late 90s, early 2000s came about, that's when I started, you know, listening to bands like Madball or Biohazard or, or even more like, you know, traditional hardcore, like Bane or whatever, you know, like, uh, I don't know, I just sort of love everything and mixed it all up.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. And that, that actually segues perfectly into, um, you know, because you,
1: were you boys born and raised in Montreal? Uh, well, we, Montreal mostly or around Montreal, but yes, we are all French Canadians from Montreal.
0: <laughs> Got it. And, and you yourself, were you actually, you yourself born in Montreal or were you like in one of the, the suburbs or surrounding cities?
1: No, I I was born in Montreal and I think uh some of us were born in Longueuil which is south shore of Montreal right outside of the island but uh I'd say we were mostly based in Montreal for the most part. Well, the the, the early days, you know that core lineup and then right. uh later towards the end we had um Al um who uh Al Glassman who is from Massachusetts who um uh, then brought in uh Max who became our bass player, who's also from Massachusetts. So we had two mass dudes, um, um, starting, I don't know, 2007 or so. Mm. And then, uh, Al, uh, switched over the job for a cowboy. And then, uh, you know, a couple of years later, we got Tony to fill in for Eric for the last year of tours, for our last year of touring, and Tony's from Mass as well, and he later joined Job for a Cowboy as well, and now we got Max, uh, who's in Black Dahlia Murder, so uh, all the American dudes that played in The Spies are actually in fucking sweet death metal bands right now so I'm pretty pretty happy for them
0: yeah no, it's cool they can transition into something else beyond you know just kind of sitting there and twiddling their thumbs
1: <laughs> well I mean it's to each his own like the, the the Quebec chapter of the Spies Icon they're more uh, they're more into uh, you know they're, they're, they're somewhere they're somewhere else now they're, they, they yeah. all have kids uh, you know Yannick our first guitar player I think he's at, like he's on his fourth kid now coming up you know he's very productive <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, Eric just had twins twin daughters like recently grind had a had a daughter seb had a daughter as well everybody's just in that mindset right now they they got great jobs and'm super proud of them and sure. I guess i uh tried to go that route. you know I actually uh got a good marketing marketing job in an office and not you know just uh, somewhat re- like you were doing you know everything related to bands you know mm-hmm. and uh I was doing that for like a year and a half or so, and I just missed being on the road and missed you know touring and writing records and all that good stuff just so much that uh I just hit to uh, Get back into the grind and you know start a new band.
0: (laughs) Yeah, no, that it's it's definitely hard for I mean because certain people like you said they move on to different chapters in their life and they're like like right now me myself if you were to be like hey Ray go and tour for five weeks in the states in a van I'd be like fuck you that (laughs) sounds that that sounds terrible that that doesn't sound entertaining engaging like I just I wouldn't be interested in that Yeah, Um, yeah but it's like you know like you said to each his own and. There are some people where it's like, you know, like you said, you tried. You're like, all right, here's a job. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to stick around. I'll, you know, see see how this goes for me. And then you're like, no, that isn't for me. Whereas some people, they, would, they wouldn't even try it, you know? Like, they wouldn't even try to get a job or anything. They would just, you know, join some terrible band and, like, you know, just eke by a living for, like, years and years and years. And just, like, you know, at the end of the day, they might be unsatisfied because they wouldn't even have anything to, like – they, they wouldn't even try that
1: aspect of life, yeah. you know?
0: Yeah. So, so it's cool that you tried that.
1: <laughs> oh, I tried it and I, I'm thankful for it. You know, it, it, uh, I, I'd, I'd say I'm, uh, um, the way I go about things is more structured now and definitely have that work ethic going on. And, you know, you want something real bad, you got to work for it. And, uh, so that's what I learned. Well, I mean, I, I've learned that far, a while back, but you know how to do it in a, in the the right way. I right. guess You know? Here <laughs> to year or two really uh, help me out in regards to that. And uh, totally. I don't know, just trying out different things, man. Definitely, uh, school of life. Let's let's sum it up to that. School of life.
0: Yeah, no, that, that's what I love. Like I. Once I turned 30, I felt so much more comfortable in my own skin and then like in my knowledge and just kind of like you said, everything that you've done up to that point, you know, you've learned from or hopefully you've learned from. Yeah. Uh, And then that way, it's like, you know, like yourself, when you're starting a new band, you're just like, all right, I don't have to do, you know. Seventeen terrible us tours and make negative seventy dollars each tour like we can do this sm- smartly better whatever you'd like to call it it's like I, I've learned from what mistakes I made when I was you know 22 years old and having no idea what a tour really was <laughs> <laughs> um, but so you know t- take me back to like uh, you know when you were uh, you know when you're when you were born in Montreal and I always found Montreal so damn interesting and I'm sure a lot of Americans say that because obviously the fact that most people that are born in Montreal are bilingual by default you know do you, so you speak English and French and do you speak anything else
1: Uh no okay. English and French but uh um, the fact that I know both languages whenever I I I see something written in Spanish in Spanish I can decipher maybe a quarter of what's oh. going on or what's being said uh, so I guess that's, that's a tool, you know, there's, you know, all, all, all Latin roots, I guess, but no, I just speak uh French and English. Yeah.
0: And yeah. I, I think that's, I think so, that's interesting so interesting in and, and of itself you know, because of, obviously Americans don't have that, you know, but we, I mean, we try to be, well, bi- I mean, we try to be bilingual.
1: It, it, English is the universal language, man. Like whether you just have to speak it. <laughs> no, it's true. It's true. But so when
0: you uh yeah you know being raised in montreal like you know how was your uh you know how's your home life growing up like you know where your uh you know what did your parents do and kind of you know do you have brothers and sisters and you know take me through that
1: uh i am an only child uh i guess Dude, if you want to be real sentimental and shit. Oh, I um, do. I
0: love being sentimental. Uh
1: when my mother was given birth, uh both she and I almost died. It, it took like like uh, like 30 or 40 hours for me to actually come out. Wow. So, it was a close call and after that happened, they sort of decided to, you know, all right, let's just have one kid. So <laughs> they're like <laughs> That's where that's where I'm coming from.
0: Well, basically once they had you and it was a 30 to 40 hour experience, they're like, "Yeah, let's just stick with one kid."
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs>
0: and so you're uh, what what did your parents do for a living and you know how was uh did you do well, I guess that's one part of the question and then the second part of the question is like, did you enjoy being an only child?
1: Uh, well, my parent my my dad was – um uh, worked at IBM. He was uh, um, just—he's uh, an engineer. He was uh, traveling a lot, and uh, you know, providing. Mm-hmm. And uh, my mom, my mom was all over the place. She started out in hospitals, and then decided, uh, you know, took a break once I was born, and then decided right after that, uh, hey, I'm going to try something completely different. I'm going to start. Uh, I'm going to do uh, uh, graphic design now. So she went back to school with a kid, and studied that for a few years, then worked in that field for 10 years, and then, you know what, I miss hospitals, and then she went back to school, studied again in her 40s, and then went back to the hospital, so, uh, you know, I, I, both, uh, both parents are, uh, are inspirational in a sense that you know they're they're hard workers and they want something and uh you know they work hard to get it and that just imp- inspired me to do the same basically
0: Oh that's that's really cool that you were able to see you're able to see that sort of entrepreneurship of like hey if you want like you said if you want to get something yourself you just kind of got to go out there and do that. Oh yeah
1: go get it just don't take no for an answer and just keep knocking on a bunch of doors until something happens
0: <laughs> Right that's awesome and so um when did you, uh, you kind of discover independent music? I mean, you mentioned, like you said, you, know, you kind of got into cryptopsy being, I mean, because Montreal is a huge metal scene. Yeah, um, So was that kind of your introduction when you were in like junior high or high school?
1: Uh, independent music. Uh, well, for starters, just sorting through my uh, dad's old vinyl collection when I was younger, when I was uh, you know, just uh, starting to get into my teens. Uh, I guess that's how I discovered Black Sabbath or Led Zeppelin or Jimi Hendrix or even Bob Marley, you know, all those uh, all those artists that I still to this date listen to and respect and love. So uh, definitely have to credit uh, my dad for that. But uh, as far as like, uh, you know, heavier, uh, heavier music or independent music or the whole underground is concerned, I guess uh, 1993, I was in high school. Uh, first or second year of high school and i discovered pantera and i was like whoa this is heavy you know yeah. and then you look at the you look at the uh cowboys from hell uh uh cover or the vulgar display of power uh cover and then there's like that parental advisory little like sticker on there and you're like oh man my parents can't know that i'm listening to this right now it's so heavy sure. they say fuck all the time like it's <laughs> awesome And so, I don't know, I just started listening to a lot of Pantera, Sepultura, you know, slowly got, uh, you know, Fear Factory, whatever, just started getting into that whole, you know, uh, heavy side of things. Uh, I had uh, friends starting to play guitar, bass, all that, so I was like, hey, I want to play music, I want to be in a band, and nobody else played drums. So hey, let's let's play drums. And uh, I was too broke at the time to actually afford a drum set. So my godfather, uh, before he passed away, he saw how motivated and passionate I was about this. So he made a he gave me a big present. He bought me a drum, and I'm still to this day I'm very thankful for that because you know I guess uh everything i'm doing right now sort of derived from that you know from me actually having the opportunity to play music you know to own an instrument and all that and uh, he and he bought me uh green day's dookie on cassette as well and you know here i am talking about all this metal stuff but i was a big punk rock fan as well whether it's uh, you know uh you know uh, the the hits at the time were uh smash by Hoff- offspring and dookie by green day but i was also into like uh, no effects, punk and Drublick, Pennywise, uh, what was it called? Uh, Pennywise, Unknown Road. Oh yeah. Uh, Rancid, uh, what was that? What was that record called? Let's go. Yeah,
0: let's let's go or Out Come the Wolves.
1: So uh, yeah, so start you know slowly getting to, into both scenes, the punk rock scene, the heavy metal scene, or thrash metal or whatever you want to call it, and uh, just start playing music with my friends. Uh, start doing these amateur shows in high school. Uh, uh, I started taking drum lessons. So I joined the jazz band, the big band, uh, played, you know, all sorts of types of music, you know, I, I, I've I've never been, I've never considered myself like a full metalhead. I'm more like of a musician or a music lover in general, you know, so yeah, uh, I like you... to you, I like to be a little all over the place. I, I've gotten a lot of shit for that in the past, but, you know, who cares, man? I'd, music's awesome. Why be a Nazi about it, you know?
0: Right. No, you definitely, it's funny because you always have struck me as as that because, yeah, and I do think that people such as yourself where it's just like, you know, you're not only getting into, you know, metal, but you're also experimenting with punk and you're kind of, you know, you're finding what you like. I mean, of course, when you're, you know, a teenager, you really dive into one music scene and, you know. You're like that. That's who you are for that six months to a year. But then yeah. you, know, you don't forget about what you listened to before. Where it's like, yeah, even though you might be listening to, you know, Blink One Eighty Two, you can still listen to Cryptopsy and be like, oh, that's incredible. Like I still love that. <laughs>
1: yeah. Well, I mean, I, and I think not that, not not everyone gets it, but uh, yeah. I, I to just, reach his own, totally. like we said earlier.
0: <laughs> yeah, but I, I, I think it, I think it really informs. Uh, you, like you said, not only as a musician where it's like, you're not just focusing on one style of music, you can, you know, bring in influences from all these different places. And, um, so you, so, cause I, I honestly had no idea that drums were kind of your, uh, your, your route of choice as far as an instrument was concerned. So what was the, uh, what was the first band you played in like that you officially started to like, you know, maybe do like your first live show with,
1: well, my first, let's say, let's say, somewhat professional band that i joined was called hidden pride uh we uh the, it was a brutal death metal band okay uh that actually reunited recently and played a show and it had been i don't know so, uh, over 10 years that they hadn't played and everything so i went out and saw him and my friend is playing drums with him and it was it was awesome it brought back memories but yeah nice so uh i joined this band called hidden pride in 1997 i was 17 at the time um, um, I don't know. They, I used to go and watch that because uh, I, I wasn't the original drummer then and I used to go and watch them live and everything and then I was at some party and I saw the guitar player and I was starstruck. I was like, dude, when are you, you know, you're a little drunk and you're like, hey, man, when are you playing your next show? And it was like, we can't play a next show. We don't have a drummer. So, hey, I play drums. So then, <laughs>
0: It's amazing. Uh, you're uh, like, hey, I'll volunteer.
1: <laughs> so like a few days later, they came over to my grandmother's place because my grandmother lived upstairs from, from my place and my drums were at her place and it's like big metal head he, I was 17 he was like 26 or 27 you know <laughs> long hair everything sees my grandmother hey hey lady blah blah where's alex and then you know just Started uh, jamming, worked out great, and that was my, uh, uh, my my first shot of actually actually playing shows outside of Montreal, playing in Quebec, in Ontario, here and there. Yeah. and that lasted about a year or so, and then uh, I don't know, the band sort of fell apart, unfortunately. And like as soon as uh, that happened, a day later, uh, my good friend Stephen Henry, which I didn't know at the time, uh, got my phone number from someone and was like, "Hey, my band Neurosis is uh, looking." For for a drummer, I was like, yo, I'm going to try out. And uh, you know, a week later, went to their jam space, tried out, uh, joined Neuraxis, uh, who later put out stuff on Willowtip Records, on E-Rake, on Prosthetic, uh, yep. uh, and that, that was my first... Uh, uh, my shot at, you know, touring outside of Canada. So, you know, Canadian tours, uh, did my first, uh, us tour in year, year 2000, uh, did my first European tour in 2003. So, um, that's when things started getting a a little more serious for me, you know, and that's when I was like, man, I'm hooked. I I don't want to do anything else. I still went to school. Uh, I went to university and all that. And, Every day I'd be in class and I just had music in the back of my mind and I'd just cut class all the time and go smoke weed and play drums and, and just but you know I, I, I don't know like uh, I were don't you, know man what were good, good memories
0: yeah no for sure I mean that sounds awesome especially especially once you do find that world and you're like oh yeah like once you've been bitten by the bug where it's like you want to tour you want to create it's like oh nothing can stop you. Um so what what were you uh what first of all what were you studying in university and then second of all um the you know there's always the discussion that you have to have with your parents where it's like okay uh, guys I'm not going to either you know get a real job or whatever or it's like I'm going to tour I'm going to pursue music and that, that that conversation I know can be difficult so um yeah two yeah. part two part question
1: <laughs> Well uh I have a bachelor's in communications I graduated, I can't even remember when, like, the way it came about is just to finish off what I was saying, like, I was doing Neuraxis, and Mm then uh, started doing the spies icon with my friends and then joined this other band on uh, One Day Seder. Uh, which were called uh, in Dying Days. There was sort of like Strong Arm back in the day. I don't know if you remember yeah, that band. Dude, that
0: that uh, yeah, that yeah.
1: I was doing all of that. I was playing in three various bands, uh, three three different bands playing drums, and then I got tendonitis in my elbow, had to quit drums and everything all together. And then um, that's about when I graduated from university. And I don't know. I just really wanted to keep on playing music i couldn't use my arms so i was like fuck it i'm just gonna sorry sorry for my bad language anyways i was, I was just fine. like anyways uh i'm just gonna i, I want to play music i want to be in a band so i started screaming and mary the singer in despise at a time uh wasn't uh um digging our new sound you know our-, our our passage from the first record which was more traditional brutal death metal into like the second record which was more deathcore and she was getting married and all that so she's she stepped out I took her spot, uh, graduated around then, then started talking to you and Roy and Stacy and all that, mm-hmm. signed to Century Media, and as soon as I graduated from university a couple of months later, I just went on tour, so never really did anything with that piece of paper that I got from school, but uh, I don't know, you, uh, I definitely got to apply some of that knowledge Uh to the spies, or to A Beta brave my due ban right now. You know whether it's self promotion or public relations or marketing or self management or whatever you want to call it. You know it's it definitely helped.
0: Right, right, right. So that that sounds like the timing kind of worked out to your advantage, where, yeah. where you didn't have to have that really because you know kids have to have that tough conversation where it's like. Hey, I'm not going to go to college, mom and dad. Um, I'm going to do this, and they're like, "No, you're not. That's a terrible idea." <laughs> so, like, did your were your parents pretty supportive of your musical journey?
1: Uh, my parents are cool. They 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 saw how bad I wanted it. They they saw how much I just. Loved uh, either listening to my cassettes or CDs, or just going out to shows—local shows, big shows, small shows—all the time. When the, you know, when when you actually start getting a little older, and I, I think at the time, at the time I was uh, twenty-three when I graduated, and and uh, and all that, and uh, then they were like, "Well, what are you going to do with your life now?" and everything, and then. All of a sudden I got these touring opportunities and, and you know, Century Media being a worldwide label and everything that sort of impressed them and like, wow, you're going to L.A. and San Diego and New York next month. That's pretty awesome. So I just, you know, they, they were like, wow, well, you know seems like you have something on your mind just go all the way and see where it leads you so they've always been really supportive uh um uh, as far as me being a musician is concerned or, or just me in general they they support me no matter what so that's i feel very fortunate to have parents like that and that actually come out to my shows once in a while not every show granted because it's you know, it's not really their cup of tea, but uh, oh, once in a while they'll pop up and they'll be happy and they'll wear like a black shirt or something and take pictures and be like, "Your orchestra was awesome." <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's so incredible. That's really cool that they were. uh Yeah, that they were supportive because yeah, I I had a similar experience to you where it's like you know even though I did have a, have to have a difficult conversation with my parents as far as hey, I'm going to drop out of school because I want to do. These things, but you know, I, I did have the job at Century Media in order to kind of alleviate their fears that, like, hey, I'm not going to be just like some dropout, you know, like loser yeah. kid who's like, oh yeah, I'm going to be a rock star. It's like, no, like I'm responsible, but I need to pursue this, you know.
1: Yeah, and, and, and it's not like I went in that into that mindset. That I want to be a rock star or anything. It's just like I don't know, man. I. I just really <laughs> love doing this shit here. I'm 31 and starting all over again with my new band and I couldn't be happier. So, right. but, uh, yeah, there, no, <laughs> there, there comes a time when, you know, they, they did, uh, uh, start to question certain things, but at some point you're like, Hey dad, uh, I just toured 35 countries and he's like, yeah, you're right. Just do your thing.
0: <laughs> That's amazing. You're like, yeah. Okay. I get it. I understand. Um, <laughs> So with the, uh, you know, kind of with despised icon, what I also found so interesting and kind of, um, you know, what what set you guys apart from what you know other bands of that nature were doing, um, the I mean was honestly your fashion sense and the way that the band presented itself because you know you guys definitely had um, you know it wasn't a deliberate image where you're like all right everybody wear matching clothes and we need to have synchronized headbangs or anything like that but yeah you know you, you definitely had the whole um, you know for lack of a better term like you know urban you know streetwear style um but obviously you were playing this this style of music and so Uh yeah I I found it so interesting because people either loved it and embraced it or they hated it or they were like oh yeah and so you know did you got like did you notice that as you were kind of doing that you're like oh wow people have a problem that I'm wearing you know flat bill hats like did you notice that
1: Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean uh i I guess when when we started out, like I wasn't used to you know all this hate and everything, and I was like a little overwhelmed, I was like, man, I'm just playing music, man what what's the matter with you guys? you know, if you yeah, don't right. like it good, but like this whole like lamb goat van flip community was just like
0: <laughs> yeah, totally, you were like, I wasn't used to this i'm just I'm just me, I'm sorry,
1: yeah, but uh, I don't know, man, like. I really, uh, I guess I'm thankful for uh, for all those negative comments now because it just really made me stronger and uh, and uh, more confident, you know. Uh-huh. And, uh, uh so but bottom line is whether somebody likes it or not that's not going to change anything with what my life plan is and you know I don't I'm 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 not trying to be a pleaser or anything I'm just trying to do me whether people like it or not and uh I don't know I'm just like a really down to earth type of dude so yeah
0: and well it just, I don't really know it, what to say <laughs> no 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 you're fine yeah cuz i mean it probably it just gave you thicker skin you were like all right you know, you might have read those first, you know, 10 comments and been like, you know, had your feelings hurt. But then, you know, you kind of got over that and you're like, OK, well, I can't take these comments seriously or I can't like let it affect me. I just need to like you said, I just need to do it me.
1: Yeah, dude, I was a, I was literally a despised icon, you know, word for word. <laughs> <laughs> That's incredible. Yeah,
0: you were, you're you're the, uh, you're the focal point of the hate. You're like, Who is this guy? <laughs> Who does he think he is?
1: but i don't know then i started developing that that, uh, that just start seeing things in a sense that you know to all the people out there that actually enjoy talking shit you know i'm all about freedom of expression you know freedom of speech and all that it's all good but if you really hate somebody to a point where you have to talk shit on him all the time or you know often <laughs> to say it at least you know if you're that good man you know just Shut up! Otherwise, you're just you're you're just making your scapegoats even bigger. You know, you're by promoting them by you know starting all these debates on like this guy has a flat bill hat. He can't be death metal, you know. And then it's, <laughs> yeah, that's... Oh, it's it's not about what you wear. It's about what you feel. And then there's all these debates and everything, man. It's so funny. But like, bottom line, if kids are that good, man, just start a band of your own and show 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 me. How good you are, you know, and then we'll see who laughs last. But you know, I I don't know. Yeah.
0: No, that that's no, that's good. I mean, because yeah, you you want to turn around because you're you're a positive person, and it's like you don't you you don't want to dwell in negativity, and it's like, hey, if you're so negative, why don't you actually do something about it and change it? You know, if you think what I'm doing is wrong, show the world what is right in your opinion. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah well i mean you can't be everybody's friends you can't please everyone so i've just made peace with that you know and it's it's all good i i uh, uh wait let me pause for a second once in a while i i, I switch into french mode and i don't know how to say pizza. <laughs> what, what, i know um, how, did, how does that i, make- I, I just uh, now i just wish good on people it's not I, i'm not a, it's not i sound really peace and love and hippie like right now but you know I wish everyone the best, whether you like what I do or not, you know. Yeah. This world, there's way too much you know serious shit in this world right now to you know uh contribute to that hate so i'm, I'm doing the whole pma thing and it's uh doing me right so that's uh, uh that's pretty much it man <laughs> yeah i
0: know that, that that's how it works like like i said you're a positive person and it's like you don't want to you don't wish negative things on people and i totally get that
1: no of course um, not.
0: it's it's really funny how you're just saying your mind switched into a friend like so you, does that often happen to you where it's just like you're, uh, you're in the middle of like an English sentence and all of a sudden you just start to speak French?
1: Once in a, once in a while, you know, it's just like uh, <laughs> to be fully bilingual, I guess you got to uh, sort of just let the words uh, come out of your mouth without necessarily thinking about them. Like, like as if you're speaking your native language. Otherwise, you're always pausing to wait. I want to say this and you're always pausing to to say the, the these words in French and then translating them in English <laughs> yeah. and saying them and everything. It's just – so once in a while, there's like this awkward pose but with all this you know touring and with all these friends that are actually anglophones and all that i i've uh, i'm getting better and better you know i i i'm still learning to this date and uh once in a while i'll say something really goofy or clumsy and one of my friends or my girlfriend or, or whatever they'll just correct me and that's how you learn <laughs> yeah
0: no no totally yeah it's just it's just funny because it's something that i i personally don't deal with and so it's like oh yeah that's true you have to kind of just throw it out there because if you think about it, then you're just going to be speaking so slow.
1: <laughs> but it uh, sounds a little lame. But I'd like to thank uh, American Television for uh, years and years of uh, <laughs> English lessons at home. <laughs> what,
0: what were the uh, what were the you know the shaping programs for you that kind of you know helped you learn English?
1: Oh my dad! Uh, you know you you're 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 a kid. You watch TV with your parents. My dad always uh, uh, switched it on to uh, English channel, so mm-hmm. it's it sort you sort of learn it sublimin subliminally.
0: Yep.
1: And uh, I don't know, just watching Saturday mornings when I was a kid, or just uh, I don't know. I'm looking at my DVD library right now. So Top Gun, <laughs> Top Gun, Karate Kid, bath- uh, Batman, Batman. Uh, Beetlejuice. That's, uh, that's, that's incredible. Uh, I don't know the movies from the late '80s, early '90s, uh, late '80s. I'd say mm-hmm. uh, I would just watch them over and over again. I would fast forward to that ending fight scene in Karate Kid One, and just watch it and watch it and watch it. And so I, I guess I guess just movies and television in general helped me out quite a lot to uh, learn English in a French-speaking world.
0: Yeah, no, that's awesome. Um, you know, kind of transitioning into, obviously, what you're doing now and what <clears throat> you're most excited about as far as the Obey the Brave stuff. Like, I, uh-huh. honestly, when I first heard it and when I saw that you're involved and you're doing everything, I was really genuinely happy for you because it's like anytime you do see friends starting up something new um you know there's always that first fear of like oh man i hope this doesn't suck because you know (laughs) because it's especially if you did enjoy their previous musical endeavor where you're like oh yeah like i liked what you did with your first band and then why does your second band suck? You know, it's like, cause I mean, it just happens that sometimes, you know, people want to do something really different musically and then they do a second band and it's like, oh yeah, just not that good. But <laughs> so I just, I, I remember listening to it and it was just like, oh, way to go, Alex. Like you've definitely hit the nail on the head. It, it's just, uh, it also made me happy too, because it seems that the approach for the band, like you said. You obviously all those years in, you know, Despised Icon, Draxis, everything kind of led up to this, where it's like, all right, I know, I know what to do now in order to make sure that this band is, you know, to the best of my ability, successful. Um, and so, did you, did you kind of like, was that the focus, where it's like, all right, you know, we're starting this band, here's some of my friends, like this will be fun, but you know, here's what we can do to make it more successful, um, you know, I guess, for lack of a better term, quicker. <laughs>
1: Yeah, well, I mean, uh, like I said, I really wanted to get back into the game and just – Uh, just just start the whole band thing all over again. And, uh, you know, you learn from your success, but you learn mostly from uh, your failures and nobody wants to make the same mistakes twice. So just uh, the the culmination uh, of all that just uh, helped me out big time uh, when the time came to uh, form Obey the Brave. So instead of just uh, announcing the band right, right away and not having any material or just, taking baby steps or whatever, we decided to just uh, pace ourselves and spent most of the last year just uh, exchanging ideas, uh, building the band. As you said, bottom line, we are friends, you know, doing music for the pure love of it and for the right reasons and all that and it it was just really easy to sink into that whole mindset of uh uh, of doing obey the brave and uh so we, we just uh really took our time on this and at some point you know three of us are from ottawa two of us are from montreal so we were mostly just exchanging ideas and riffs and through email and facebook and text messages and We really didn't really hang out all that much last year until um, summertime came. And then I would say maybe, uh, I don't know, July, August, that's when we decided to all right, let's do this. We have enough songs. And then something that not a lot of people know, but August the last year, that's when we actually hit the studio and recorded our full length with Antoine from Ion Dissonance, longtime friend. And then when once we actually had that record in hand, which was a really you know uh, organic process in a sense that here we were, everything DIY, everything self-financed, No deadlines. We didn't even have a band name yet. We we didn't know where we were heading, but hey, all of a sudden we have this record. It's the fall. We were like, all right, let's try this out. Let's do this. So that brings us to September, October, or maybe even November of last year. And then we were like, all right, let's do this. And so I got a jam space in Montreal. And then the boys started coming out every weekend or so, just started jamming all day. Rediscovered that whole, you know, vibe of Being with a couple of friends, having a couple of brews, just talking, chatting all day, jamming, not so much that professional mindset where you're just there, the jam you're set and then you're out half an hour later because you're rushed or whatever. Like I don't know. I I just really back to the roots and then we're like, hey, we really dig this. Uh, We like hanging out. We like jamming. We like playing music. We have this record. Um, let's shoot a music video. So we, I hit up one of my friends, Jesse, also from Montreal, um, uh, shot a video in December. It was, uh, a ready, you know, he, we took our time on that one as well. It was ready mid January. And then once we had that, we we're like, all right, let's do this. And that's when we announced the band and, Granted, like not even a week earlier, we still didn't have a a band name. We were called Youngblood for for a couple of months or so. And then so many entities are, uh, you know, going around with that name. So we decided to do to choose a beta brave announced the band literally like a few days later. And then I don't know. Everything yeah. else happened. Everything else is history. And like you said earlier, just to make my point, there was that apprehension of, you know, breaking the ice, breaking the ice properly and like, oh, man, what if nobody likes this? You know, <laughs> yeah. Am i going to make a fool of myself. Am I going to embarrass the, the spies icon legacy or whatever you want to call it? And then uh, whoopsies. And then, uh, no, I guess I was pleasantly surprised with uh, everyone's reaction and support. You know, uh, here we were new band. No publicist, no record label, no management, no booking, no nothing, just doing everything ourselves and having you know the support uh, from you know a lot of kids online, which really helped us spread the word, so definitely very thankful uh for that you know I really feel fortunate to have people out there that support what I do and support what we do and um, here we are uh, six months later, almost to today. Uh, Our record comes out in a month. And uh, I'm extremely uh, anxious to share this music with everyone. You know, Th- these past six uh, months have been rock and roll. I quit my job for this. I've been working at it every day. Uh, I'm fortunate enough to manage this band now with Carl Severson, who is a role model. He did Ferret. You know, it's fucking Carl, man. Hot Carl. We call it <laughs> Hot Carl. That's pretty That's good. His- I like that. But uh, I feel very fortunate to learn from the best and... Uh, uh, you know thanks to carl and uh and uh thanks to my contacts as well we managed to get bit beta raid on the road and here we are booked uh by the best agents around, and we are on Epitaph Records, which I said earlier when you and I just started talking. You know, I grew up listening to the early Epitaph uh, records, whether it's like Rancid or uh, Pennywise, like I was saying, or even Melancholy and all that good stuff. So to actually be on Epitaph is wow! It blows my mind. It totally. blows my mind. No, like totally. Like teen- teenager, if I, if you know, uh, mature Alex or grown up Alex were to meet. Teenager Alex, teenage Alex would never believe what (laughs) grown-up Alex has to say. Like it's
0: (laughs) yeah, you'd be like, if I if I I could
1: no, no, I'm hungry, so I'm saying whatever. But uh,
0: (laughs) no, you're fine. If yeah, if you could put this in a time capsule, you'd be like, oh no, your your younger self would be like, what are you talking about? That doesn't make any sense.
1: Yeah man, it's it's like wow man, we're at Avocado Booking, Pantheon Agency Group, you know, booking through all those entities for worldwide and you know, here we are with Epitaph and even Distort in Canada, Distort Rule, you know, and they're like really a family label. They they treat us as family. I love it. Same for Epitaph. You know, it's cool to be, you know, on top of your shit and be business and everything. But when you see the people actually care and treat you like a friend and family, then you know that you're really in the good hands. So I'm, I I couldn't be happier with my life right now.
0: Yeah, dude, well, I, I'm, I'm honestly stoked for you. Uh, and sort of to, to wrap things up and, in conclusion, this is just more of a question in regards to, because like I said, I'm really interested in Montreal, and I always found it such an interesting city. Um, every, uh-huh. every time I played there, um, the shows were always incredible, but it was always funny because the people in the scene were always like, oh yeah some some Montreal people um you know have they have a negative opinion of Americans or like you know you walk into a store like if I were to walk into a store and start to speak English they would know how to speak English but they would choose not to in order to you know just <laughs> get me out of there yeah. you know? so it, it does is that does that is that true or does that exist with some people where it's just like oh yeah you speak French or die kind kind of
1: thing <laughs> uh, well um, uh, unfortunately in Quebec it's even worse because Quebec is like French minority of Canada. Uh, uh, and right here in Quebec, often what's what the case is, like they even hate the rest of Canada. A lot of people here want to separate from the rest of Canada. Uh, I'm proud to be, uh, I'm proud to be Quebecois. I'm proud to be Canadian. Uh, I have a lot of French-speaking friends, a lot of English-speaking friends. I really they don't understand what the big fuss is all about you know obviously uh some people are concerned with just losing the whole quebec culture or that francophone heritage and all that which is understandable but you know there's a lot of laws in place right now to you know preserve though i don't really know what to say in regards to that uh yeah no
0: i just i just
1: and then when it comes to so, so there's that you know, like you said earlier, Montreal is bilingual, almost fifty fifty. But uh, as soon as you step out of the big city, which is Montreal, and you're, um, you know, I don't know, an hour in whatever direction or further, then that's when you're in French land, and people don't understand English as well, or they they just, uh, you know, you know uh, that movie Team America: World Police, of course, like. Uh, america fuck yeah here we come to save the day yeah or something like that some people like think that they they take that image to the to the letter or whatever that i I don't know some some people have a negative uh view of americans i love touring the u.s i can't wait to be back there i'll be spending a month in the u.s or even more like five weeks starting uh tomorrow so i'm excited but i don't know man i yeah
0: no i just like i said i just wanted to ask because it's like you know, I didn't personally experience that, but you know, I've heard other people that talk about that, and yeah, like you said, Quebec is much worse. But um, yeah, so.
1: But but I mean, it's uh, it's it's not like it generalizes to an entire population, right? You know, a lot of people are just like me; they don't give a fuck, right? Uh, but I guess it's. It's like that it's like that everywhere man i I've been to the u s and I've saw i i I'd see like uh you know that flag from the south and it'd say like uh speak English or die like yep. on a bumper sticker you know it's it, it's like that everywhere it's, no
0: it's very it's very true yeah we'll <laughs> and,
1: and, and maybe the, this duality there's this this whole like uh debate that's going on between French and english or Quebec versus U.S. or Canada versus U.S., that might be the same thing that's going on in, in, in like, uh, the southern part of the U.S. with, you know, uh, you know southern America and America and all that and, and, like, the Spanish and English and I don't know. I don't know. Oh, yeah. Peace and love, everybody. Peace.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, no, totally. It, it, it's not specific to your country or to your region because, yeah, we in America definitely have that as well. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But yeah, so honestly, I really appreciate you fitting this uh, random interview in before you uh, left for tour and I'll, I'll I'll let you go I'll let you go have your dinner.